Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to talk all about executive functioning. It's not something that I've talked about. It's not my area of expertise. And when it's not my area of expertise, I always love to bring the experts on. And I have some great therapists to join me today. I'm going to, we're going to be talking to Rachel Cap and Stephanie Pitts, who are educational therapists and have their own podcast, Learn Smarter Podcast, which you'll hear about when I introduce them. So I think it's an important topic because a lot of our kids do struggle with executive functioning because of anxiety and OCD. And also just in general, I think a lot of people are wired to have different variations of struggles with executive functioning. We all do to some degree. And so you might even find this episode helpful for yourself. Before we dive in though, I do have a couple of announcements. First, a big thank you to NoCD who sponsors this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I will always leave links in the show notes. You can check them out there. Another thing is I did promise you last episode, and I did have to write a note about this, talking about executive functioning. I will say things and I will totally forget. And for those of you that actually listen to every episode and maybe listen to them back to back. I might say that I'm going to talk about something next episode and then I don't, and that can be really frustrating. (laughs) So part of what I do for executive functioning is I write a million notes for myself and that is really how I survive. In fact, that is a big component of how I survived when I was going through grief. When I lost my husband, my executive functioning skills went completely out the window. I had a lot of grief fog and was not able to do that. Having said that, this is related. I did have an announcement that I told you I was going to make last week. And I want to let you know, for those of you that are interested, that I am actually having a children's grief book come out. I haven't been talking about it. I never know when I'm able to talk about these things with publishers. (laughs) And so I just stay quiet until it's about to come out. So The Grief Rock, Understanding Grief and Love, is actually coming out on May 18th, which I think is pretty cool because that's actually the day before my husband's birthday or would have been my husband's birthday. And so that's pretty cool. I'm actually hoping it comes out on May 19th for some reason, because that is his birthday, but pretty close. And I didn't do that on purpose. So it is a a very simple book on how to navigate grief. I felt like I could not find a book out there for my kids on grief itself, like the ups and downs of feeling like knocked off your seat and the way that people react to you. And my daughter had a lot of people not talking to her anymore at school. There was just a lot of how to handle grief. And so very simplistic book. It's a children's book, the picture book, and you can pre-order it if you are interested. And it's a good thing to have if your child has experienced any sort of grief or loss. You can actually go to natashadaniels.com slash grief. I just made a, a very easy URL for you to be able to find that. And I hope that you find it helpful. You could pre-order it now and then get it when it comes out. And that actually helps to support the book as well because Amazon likes when people get excited about a book. And so 
hopefully you will get excited about that. Just trying to pay it forward for all the people that supported us through our grief when my husband suddenly passed away. Another quick announcement, and then we're going to move on to this interview, is I am doing my survival series. It's coming out in uh, next week when this comes live. I actually have to like figure out because I'm batching these, so it's not in real time. But the Survival Tools for Parents Raising Kids with Anxiety or OCD is coming out and it starts on May 4th, which should be next week when you're listening to this. And you can still sign up. You can actually sign up anytime throughout the series. So the series will run May 4th through May 12th. And you can sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. That's atparentingsurvivalseries.com. I'll be navigating you through how to find the entry point in helping your child with anxiety or OCD because there's always a really good place to start. I'll be teaching you about all the, the skills and tools that you need to create a therapeutic home environment in your house because that's so important. I'll be talking about just the foundational things and giving you a very concrete roadmap of the steps to take to help a child with anxiety or OCD, regardless of whether that you're new to this journey or you've been doing this for a long time, you'll find value in it. And it's free, so why not? Uh, I do it twice a year, so if you haven't participated before, please join. Some parents like to join my free series every time I do it, and they get something new each time because we do have a temporary Facebook group where we do live classes. And so the discussion around the videos is different each time. The free series is on demand while it's running, and so you don't have to commit to a particular time in order to watch the videos. They go into your inbox, and then you can watch them at your leisure. And the Facebook lives, the replays are always pinned to the top of that Facebook group. You don't have to be in Facebook because we do have a series website that has all the videos and the worksheets and all the fun stuff. But if you want to really dive deep, you can join the Facebook group as well. And that won't open up until the week of the series, but you can sign up now at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Okay, let's jump in and talk about executive functioning. I want to welcome Rachel Cap and Stephanie Pitts onto the show. They're educational therapists, which we're going to talk about what that is in a minute. And they're the hosts of the Learn Smarter podcast. Thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yes, definitely. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I invited you guys on because this is out of my wheelhouse. And I had you on at the AT Parenting community, my membership community. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I just want to have you on my podcast too, just to broadcast some information on a a more global scale because you had so much great information in your podcast. But before we dive in, which I know we're going to dive in deep, let's just talk basically about what educational therapists are, what you guys do, and then we'll we'll go from there. So I'm Rachel, just so you guys can differentiate our voices. And I am a board certified educational therapist. And what educational therapy is, is we are, we work one-on-one with learners of all types of backgrounds, diagnoses, quote unquote issues. And we help them learn how to be independent and autonomous learners in the classroom and really in life. We're different from tutors in that we're focused on skills and strategies, less interested in content. We're all about a shortcut that will help a learner do something better, faster, more effectively. And we're also dealing with the emotional aspects of learning that emerge for learners as well. Steph, what would you add? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie Pitts, and I'm also a board-certified educational therapist. And I like to say we teach learners who they are as learners and just sort of in a broad sense, help them learn how to learn. And as a lifelong learner, as everybody should be a lifelong learner, it's 
learning how to do it in a way that best works for you. And we have students from kindergarten all the way up through adults that we help with executive functioning. And that is in the workplace, in trying to further their career or test taking or just life and they're struggling. And so we really work with people to help them make things easier on what they have to do and be able to accomplish the goals that they set or don't know that they need to set. So if we dive into executive functioning a little bit on what it is that we're actually talking about, we like to say it's doing life. It's all the skills that you need in order to accomplish things on a daily basis in order to get through life. It's when you have to cook something and you need to remember all the ingredients, you need to follow a recipe, you need to make sure you have everything timing-wise, planning it out. There's multiple skills that are involved in any task that you're doing, getting ready for work and making it to work on time or getting your kids to school on time. All of those things are executive functioning skills and they are hard. And so this is something that we really focus on in educational therapy and helping our clients be successful. Well, that was a really good definition because <laughs> then it's, I feel like everybody can benefit from that. And probably a lot of parents listening are like, oh my gosh, I think I need that support <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. So how can we tell when our kids or even ourselves, I kind of want to make this even about the parent. How can we tell when we're struggling or when our child is struggling with executive functioning? So I'll give an example. I I think almost it's a baseline. We can assume there's some aspect of executive functioning in everybody's household that everybody is struggling with, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're not all perfect on every domain. And while educational therapy does encompass executive functioning, we do other things like reading intervention and all that type of good stuff too. But what I wanted to say is that there's lots of different elements of executive functioning skills. And it's reasonable to assume we're struggling with one of them. I think one of the most common ones is the understanding of time as a family unit. Mm -hmm. So we are learning more and more as a field about time blindness, which is the understanding that those that struggle with executive functioning skills are also not feeling time the same way you or I or someone who doesn't have time blindness is feeling time. Now, this is stuff that can emerge like in a parenting relationship too, in a co-parenting relationship, in a marriage. It's not just about child to adult. And so things that can happen is your kid is not ready. They don't have what they need when they're supposed to have it. They don't know where to find it. And that time blindness can emerge in different ways. So it's very common for us to get a call and say, you know, My kid will spend hours playing video games. It's always the video games example, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But will spend five minutes on their homework. Well, they're five minutes on their homework. First of all, is it really five minutes? We have to like have that conversation. But what the parent is actually saying is they're rushing through their homework. They're not being thorough. But to them, the time feels the same. The two and a half hours that they're spending on the video games feels the same and probably even it's probably even more laborious and feels longer than the five to 10 minutes that they're spending on this individual homework assignment. So if your family's struggling to get out the door on time, or it's one person who's, you know, like the time you're supposed to leave, that's when they start getting ready. 
kind of thing. That's that's executive functioning coming up in the home. Steph, what would you add? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I think it, it shows up in a lot of ways, remembering what you need to do when you need to do it. And that is something that we all have to be able to do constantly. And the thing is, is that a lot of people rely on their memory mm-hmm. and your memory is unreliable. And so that's the first rule is knowing that memory is unreliable. Looking at how do you keep track of things? How do you keep track of time? How do you keep track of what you need to do? Expectations. Yeah. Those are key executive functioning skills. And when we look at apples never fall far from the tree, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a parent listening and going, oh yeah, that was me as a kid, or Mm -hmm. that was, you know, my significant other or what, you know, or that's my child, those things are getting in the way and not having a strategy that works for you is is really hard. And and the thing about it is that the biggest jumps for executive functioning skills, the, the most demands are between elementary to middle school and high school to college. Those are the biggest jumps in demands. And that's when we see a lot of kids fall apart. And we see a lot of people in the workplace who are also gotten several times that they've been told, okay, this is your warning. And if you don't get this thing in on time, this deadline, you don't meet this or don't do that. These are the same kids that they struggled with when they were kids, the adults that struggled with it when they were children. It's the same thing. And so I think it's really important to look at as a family unit, like where are you guys struggling the most? And what can we do to mitigate some of the anxiety that's coming from not being able to meet the expectations that are out in the world for you and your family? I, I think, and I, Natasha, I want to let you ask this question, Steph and I get so used to podcasting together that <laughs> yeah, yeah. sometimes we we're talking. just like, we just start talking. But I, I wanted to specifically link the last thing that Steph said, which is when executive functioning skills are struggling, the sort of emotional byproduct is that anxiety. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know where you need to be, or you're late, or you don't have everything that you're responsible to bring with you to that activity, that's where anxiety lives. You're not prepared. And so the reason that oftentimes with middle school and high school and adult learners that we work with in our practice, the reason that we start with executive functioning skills kind of as a rule in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. is because it's the one area that can have an immediate impact Mm -hmm. on mitigating anxiety for learners. And so that's why we, we start there because it would make me anxious too, to not know what I needed once I got somewhere and was late when I, and you're scrambling and you don't have everything you need. And so, and going back to your earlier comment, like it is incredibly common for the learner to come into the practice and it's the kid. And then the parent reaches out a few weeks later and they're Mm -hmm. like, can you give me some of this that you're giving my kid? And usually with adult learners, it's so much faster. But also we always say that the learner that we're working with in the home, whether it's the adult, whether it's the kid, is they sort of become like the executive functioning hub of the family. So the things that we're teaching them, 
gradually you start seeing the rest of the family be converted over mm-hmm. like gradually. <laughs> and so that's a really beautiful byproduct of, of good executive functioning skills intervention. Yeah. And then the whole family culture is, is, is right. functioning better. And right. I think it's a vicious cycle because with kids with anxiety and OCD, they're already, they have their own anxiety themes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of times this executive functioning skill is, is struggling even more because they're having intrusive thoughts. They're having anxious oh. thoughts. So they're yeah. distracted. Some of them have comorbid diagnoses yeah. or ADHD or autism. And then a lot of them don't want to go to school. So right. that becomes a vicious cycle too. I know I see this with my son is like, he's so much better when we're going on a trip. I notice this. If I have to get up early mm. and it's time to go on a trip, he's up early. He's ready. His time doesn't seem like skewed, you know, and he's, mm-hmm. but if it's to go to school, it's like he's eating and he doesn't realize like you have two more minutes before you have to go and his backpack's not ready. And so I almost feel like it's part avoidant. And then to add to the mix, you have kids that are either perfectionistic or easily overwhelmed. And so they have assignments and things and they procrastinate to the point where then now it's this crunch time and it's I'm muddying the waters because it's a separate issue. But it's like, again, it's with the anxiety theme kind of pairs up with the executive functioning and makes it even worse. Mm -hmm. Well, I would, Steph and I don't like to use the word procrastination. Okay. (laughs) We talk about it. It's negative connotations, but that's Mm -hmm. absolutely what it is. It's really task avoidance. And then it becomes, which is a part of executive functioning skills. It's also because they're overestimating or completely underestimating how long something will take. It's because sometimes they simply don't understand what's being asked of them. And when we direct Mm -hmm. them to go back and, you know, ask your teacher, they're like left. I mean, these are kids who won't pick up the phone to order a pizza, right? Like if you can't get it on DoorDash, they're not going to call. And so telling them to even email their teacher is a a bridge too far. So self-advocacy skills are all a part of it. It's all intertwined. So that sort of task avoidance. And you asked at the beginning, like, what are the big ways? Task switching too. Mm -hmm. Switching from a preferred task to a non-preferred task, really, really hard for learners who struggle with executive functioning skills or switching between two non-preferred tasks. And so that's where we sort of step in and we, you know, we always say it's not about getting punitive, it's getting curious, like, Mm -hmm. and which is exactly what you were doing, Natasha, when you're talking about, like, he's ready for a trip. He's not ready for school. And they're overlapping skills. So what is it about school, which you already know, what it, yeah. it's harder. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel as easy. It's not as fun as travel. So Steph, what would you add? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I think that we need to make sure also that we're realistic about not doing everything all at once. Yeah. Although it feels like some of you might be listening and saying, oh my gosh, it's everything. Looking at the biggest pain point or looking at the thing that's going to have the most immediate impact is where to start. And it might not look like what you think you should start with, but if you really get curious about it, we always say success breeds success. And when the kid starts to feel, when we're working with kids, it, when the kid starts to feel that accomplishment and the achievement of knowing how to do this task or knowing what is being asked of them or how they're going to approach it and actually get through it and then be successful, it changes everything. And yes, are there going to be steps forward and steps back? Absolutely. 
but we're teaching them the skill and repeating that skill so that it becomes more automatic. And as that skill becomes more automatic, then we move on to the next one. So I really want to caution everybody in saying that, you know, just like when you're treating anxiety and OCD, like it's it's the long game. It's the how can we help? What does this look like? What is the immediate need? And how can we be most successful? Because as we know, things don't always work the first time. And just because they didn't work the first time doesn't mean they're not going to work again in the future. But it's really approaching it with a really strategic plan to make sure that everybody can get what they need when they need it. And I think that um, a lot of times parents think when they when they see struggles with executive functioning, they think that the school should just do something. It's just like A plus B equals C. Um, and we were actually just talking about this before we started recording the podcast, you know, that I know for the questions that I get in this community and in my membership community, it's accommodations. And that's a component of it when we're dealing with anxiety or OCD, because it can show up in weird ways in the school environment. We have to get kind of creative. But when we're talking about executive functioning or struggling to organize their school or procrastinating with deadlines and all the things that you guys are talking about, I think sometimes as parents, we get tunnel vision and say, the school needs to fix this. And you Mm -hmm. guys have actually opened up my eyes to one, it impacts so many other things other than school. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like go clean up your room. It's like, I don't know where to start. It's over. Um, Mm -hmm. Or go make dinner for a teenager. Mm -hmm. I don't know where to start. I remember my daughter, I think my oldest daughter really struggles with some executive functioning in different ways, but maybe it's just a lack of skills. I remember I was like, you have to start cooking before you go to college. She's already in college and she's just door dashing, you know? Yeah. But lean cuisine. Yeah. I remember she was making a a pot of spaghetti and she put the water on and then she added the spaghetti and it was cold. Uh, And I was just like, I didn't realize I needed to break down the steps in very small increments for her that she didn't get the, to me, what was obvious. And so it's those life skills. I think mm -hmm. that also sometimes So I wonder if you guys can speak on that as far as the things that we can do at home, you know, because we think instantly 504 plan and accommodations, but there's so much more than that. So I want to put a pin in the 504 conversation and the accommodation conversation just for a second, because there's a lot that we can say on the school end of what makes it more challenging, especially Mm -hmm. as students get older. But at home, the fastest sort of quote unquote, easiest way of teaching the executive functioning skills is really those talk alouds. Okay, I'm going to put like, in the example with the pasta, I'm literally saying out loud as a parent, okay, the water needs to boil first. And then once it's boiling, I'll put the I'll put the pasta in. And it's just sort of breeding it into like your everyday narrative, your everyday conversation. So if you and your husband or your partner or your co whoever is the other adult, if there is another adult in the home, or even if there's not, if you're having a conversation about, okay, tomorrow we have to be somewhere at 10 a.m. And you do that sort of backwards planning that we do as, as adults. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take us approximately, It's all, we live in LA, so it'll take us 45 minutes to get yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And or... Or you can send one of your kids to go on Google Maps and figure out like the ETA of it. Have them be a part of it. It'll take us 45 minutes. It generally takes us an hour 
to get ready in the morning because these five things have to happen. I'm just going to write these five things down and put a post-it on the door, which we do in my house. So everybody's on the same page about what needs to be packed up in the car before we go. And you're kind of like incorporating that in the in that mental labor. It's all it's often called like the mental mommy load. All those sorts of things, if you're speaking it out loud and modeling it, that is teaching those executive functioning skills. It's it's hard because we're tired and we can go through that process much faster in our heads, right? That like backwards math and saying it out loud. And I'm not saying you have to do it with everything, but if you're modeling it and the learner is used to sort of hearing those conversations, hearing that language around it, it becomes part of the way they think about things as well. Steph, what would you add? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, this can be one of those things that having your child help you with how to cook dinner is a great, great, great skill. And having them learn how to then do it themselves. But that is going to involve all the breakdowns of what do we need at the store? How much is which it recipe to, are we doing? Yeah, how much is it going to cost? When are we going to go to the store? How when do we need to start in order to make sure that we're eating by six p.m. or whatever it is that you decide? Modeling those skills is, as Rachel was saying, is is huge. But it's also teaching them that you are thinking about it mm-hmm. when you obviously are already thinking about it, but you're not talking about how you're thinking about it because it's so automatic. For most people as adults, because you've been doing it for so long. So I think that the most important thing is to figure out what you can do with your child or as a family and work out those things together. So we're really big. We're really big about having like a Sunday meeting and sitting down and calendaring as a family so that everybody knows what's going on. Oh, you have a doctor's appointment on Wednesday or you have soccer practice on Thursday making sure that your child knows what they have going on and they put it in their calendar, whether that's digital, which we love, or paper, whatever that looks like. Even as an elementary school student, they should know what they have going on because this teaches them, okay, so the night before, okay, let's look, what do we have tomorrow? Oh, you have soccer practice. So we know that you need to get your cleats and your shin guards and your uniform and you know, whatever it else that you might need, we put it in the bag, we put it by the door, or put it in the car already, or whatever that means in order to be successful right before the event actually takes place so that they learn that they need to plan ahead and figure out what they're going to need when. And teaching those skills in real time is the most effective way to teach executive functioning skills. I also want to go back to something that you added before, Steph, which is hmm. Please do not include your child in every meal in your house, in oh, the yeah, meal planning not. of every meal. Please do oh. not uh, assign them responsibility for, like, we have to get beyond time for every single activity. If the, go- the goal can just be, like, okay, we're having a family meeting on Wednesday night. You're going to make sure the car is loaded for Thursday soccer, which means, like, we're probably going to have to wash your uniform because mm-hmm. we don't want you to be smelly. So when is that going to happen? Like, that is oftentimes enough please do not go from zero to 100 on this it's not sustainable it's not realistic and it's only going to make everybody crazy so if this is the we we like small incremental goals we always talk about it as like you're at the bottom of the staircase from an executive functioning perspective Mm -hmm. there's a lot of steps to get to the top of the staircase which is independence and autonomy 
And so we can go incrementally on this and it can be small little tweaks, but just make sure that they're realistic. Don't announce you're going to have the Sunday meeting every Sunday if every Sunday you you have family dinner with like the extended family, right? Like has to make sense within your family and be a something that is sustainable and repeatable. And I almost wonder if sometimes it's the opposite issue. I was thinking you talked about the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, it's definitely mm-hmm. with anxiety or OCD as well. And I think there's there's probably a large amount of parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD who are they're doing too much for their kids. Right, right. Where mm-hmm. there's like all they're they're not really there's no space for learning. And I think that can be an uncomfortable thing. I know with my kids, like I know they have a therapy session at 2.30, for example. My son comes home at 1.30. He's got 2.30 appointment at home. It's a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. And I just say, it's on the whiteboard, you know, 2.30 appointment. And, I, you know, we talk about it when he's in the car. Hey, today's Friday. This is what's happening on Friday. Mm-hmm. And then I give him this space to kind of drop the ball, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. then you're paying for therapy that he didn't go to. Oh, I'll love that eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he's in the bathroom right now. That actually yeah. happened this past week. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's okay. The parent involvement, it's this really interesting dance of like being involved, but taking a step back when you can tolerate it. Mm-hmm. So, it's really about where the parents can sort of tolerate failure. So, we talk on the podcast a lot about productive struggle. We want to be their backup, but we also want them to be logging on on their own. And so building in some alarms, building in that reward after if he shows up on time can be critical. Mm -hmm. But also with our older kids, and I'm speaking from personal experience of what I've had families do in my practice, because being on time to a net therapy session is a rule for my clients and for Steph's clients. Like this is a rule because we don't extend our time, right? Like you're 50 minutes or you're 50 minutes and I don't like wasting it. Maybe that's my own personal trauma from my childhood of like, you got to maximize the time, but there being a consequence. And I've had kids pay per minute of being late. And you know what happens is suddenly they're on time for session when they're feeling that financial consequence because they don't know how much it costs. It has to be, again, realistic for the family when I've done this with families, they provide a weekly allowance and minutes per session were deducted. And I would say, okay, deduct this amount. And they would follow through with it. So there was this partnership. That's why ed therapy can be a really nice bridge because we can offer that backup. Mm-hmm. We care deeply about your kids, but I didn't create them. So I'm less emotionally invested in it, which means I have a little bit more, I can tolerate a little bit more. And and know when to push them and know when to sort of step back. Yeah. And also teach them how to recover. When I have a client who's consistently doesn't show up to session or is late. One of the things I've said to him is, you at least need to text me back. That recovery component. And, oh, I'm not looking at my phone. And I just look at him like, mm-hmm. yeah, really? Right. Mm-hmm. Really? No, you're just dependent upon, you know, mom's going to respond for you. And then I say to mom, please make sure he follows up with me. I don't care if it's hours later, but he needs to close the loop. He needs to prepare here. And so we would actually argue that executive functioning, productive struggle or failures are critical because 
no learner is ever going to be 100% perfect. We're not. We have executive functioning skills, failures all the time. Mm -hmm. But knowing how to repair that is really, really important. That's another skill we want these kids to, to have. And to know that even when there's a failure or you didn't turn in an assignment on time, that the consequence is, okay, well, now you're going to have a zero on this. But seeing that they can survive that, that it's survivable, can be really, really hard for parents, hard for learners, but meaningful in their sort of overall journey. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to add in there that, you know, talking about students that struggle with anxiety and OCD, knowing that sometimes that can cause multiple other things and multiple layers of things to go on. It's really about where can they have that productive struggle and it not be a huge consequence, right? It's knowing that it's okay if they're 15 minutes late to soccer practice, but they got there. That's the goal. The goal right now is to get there. Eventually, well, the the goal needs to be to be on time. So it's really that's, I guess, going into the accommodations, the 504 plans is really looking at where do we want the goal to be? And for a lot of our learners that struggle with major anxiety and executive functioning challenges, it's turning in some for some of them, it's literally turning in an assignment, whether it's done or not, because we're trying to trying to get them to do it on time. That is the goal. Would we like it to be completely done finished? Well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if the goal that we are we've identified is to literally get it in on time, it might go in uncom- incomplete. And that's OK, because really what we're targeting is to make sure that they're getting it in on time. And so, but that might not be for all learners. Some learners, it's just getting something in the, on the paper and getting it in. So it's really knowing what your student, what your family, what you personally are struggling with and identifying the goals that will have impact and then making those accommodations accordingly. So for the student that I just want something done on the paper, it's okay that it's not in, on time. It's okay that it's not complete because the accommodation right now is that it's just something. And so when we're looking at the accommodations to go back to your initial question of what can we get for our students, listen, it, a lot of it depends on age and school and sometimes teacher. And while those 504 and IEP plans are legal documents. We all know that there's some teachers that don't want to do it a certain way or don't have the bandwidth to be able to do it a certain way or they do but then they forget or it just becomes really hard and then it turns into the student has to advocate for themselves to be able to say, "Oh yeah, remember I have this accommodation," which is very hard. That on top of everything then becomes Do they really use the accommodation? And some schools, if you go to a private school or a religious school in particular, they might not even offer these types of accommodations. So it really depends on where you are and what your student might need. And yes, getting creative with accommodations is important. But knowing that, I guess my point being, those accommodations can't be this life long thing. We need to teach them how to use 
the skills that they have and use their surroundings and whatever support that they have in order to make something actually happen. Because you can go to, you can say you have extended time on turning in a paper and you get to college and college, that's not an option as an accommodation. So you have to learn how to actually do it on time because that's going to get taken away from you. And I'm not saying that on day one of high school that mm-hmm. we shouldn't use that accommodation. You, If you need it, use it. But you also have to learn how you're going to bridge the gap so that when you don't have it anymore, how are you still going to be successful? It's useful to see like what we can do as parents and, you know, how we can build these lifelong skills because it is so much more beyond the school environment and you're bringing mm-hmm. up a lot of issues. I want to dive into that after the break. We're going to take a quick break and then I want to make a comment about something you just said, Stephanie, and we'll, we'll circle back real quick. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. I welcome back. So I wanted to circle back to what you said, because before you went into the 504 and stuff, you were talking about knowing what to push your kids or what to focus on. And you were kind of saying two different things that I think are really helpful. One, celebrate those small wins, right? Mm -hmm. So like, having that tunnel vision, we talk about this with anxiety or OCD too, like 
finding that small win. Like what's my tunnel vision goal right now? I just want them to hand something in, you know, and then moving your way up, which we do with anxiety or OCD as well. But another thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, when I talked about space and pulling back, it's like knowing what your child with anxiety or OCD can handle. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. really important because we, like in my family, we talk a lot about life lessons and when something's gone wrong, whether it's through executive functioning or maybe a bad choice, it's like, well, what's the life lesson here? And you don't want to, you know, pull the rug under your child's feet when they can't handle it. And mm-hmm. I'm right. my kids, you know, and my daughter forgot her instrument at, at home the other day and her executive functioning is really, really good, but she's mm-hmm. distracted. She likes to like watch her iPad as she's getting ready for school. And, mm-hmm. and so I know she could handle it. So she calls me at the school and she's like, mom, forgot my instrument. Um, they developed this new thing where they're giving us like strikes and I'm going to get a strike today. So can you bring it in? And I'm like, no. <laughs> she what? Talk about parenting. Okay. But I knew she could handle it. Right. Like, she didn't want that consequence. And um, the same thing happened with my son where he was playing VR and he told me that he didn't have any schoolwork to do. And for some reason, they don't get homework. They do it in school. And my kids mm-hmm. just currently don't have homework. And even when I have like a parent teacher conference, I'll say, is there homework? And they're like, no, they're doing it. They're fine. So I know they truly don't have homework and their grades are good, but he had a project and he wanted to play VR and he didn't get off. And so in the morning, full panic, Yeah, mm-hmm. it was probably at the edge of his ability to tolerate because he wanted to stay home that day and work on it. Yeah. Yep. And I said, no, you know, and he's mm-hmm. you know, he has social anxiety as well. And he was worried about like what the teacher is going to think of him and he can't confront it. And I had him go to school and it was the edge. Like he was nauseous. I mean, his anxiety was definitely, if it was like paralyzing, I probably wouldn't have done that, but it was a life lesson. And so it's like Mm -hmm. finding that sweet spot that can be tricky. Can you share what that experience of like, okay, I'm making a parenting decision that's going to be uncomfortable for my kid. Like, what does that do to your body when you're doing it? Yeah, it's very overwhelming. Okay. I, I think it's important that people hear that like, as mom, you're struggling with it too. Like, I know this is the right thing. I know this is the right thing. I'm deeply uncomfortable with it also. Engaging. Like, yeah. is he going to go off the cliff? Because I might have to pivot here. You know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. I don't want to pivot because that I don't want to give mixed messages, but right. watching his body language and seeing like how far close to that cliff is he going to get, especially with our kids who have mood instability, you just don't know. So, right. Nerve wracking, but he has yeah. brought that up multiple times since then and said, I don't like that feeling of rushing. I don't like that feeling of feeling guilty, like I'm not being truthful. And it it has been a good life lesson, not a clear one because we've obviously gone through it again, <laughs> but it's a process. It, it is a process. It's, it's never going to be that one time component, but this is the type of, these are the types of decisions that oftentimes we're making with, with parents. Like it's mm-hmm. very common for parents to not know when, and I don't want to use the word rescue, but maybe it is rescuing depending on the situation, but it's very difficult for parents to sort of gauge that, you know, and this is your, this is your wheelhouse. So you're, you're always kind of thinking about these things, but for parents who are not like us, who aren't in the education or the learning space or whatever, it's very difficult. And sometimes the easier thing is just to let them stay home. Right. Right. But also, they're also having to deal with their own anxiety about it, totally. right? So, totally. So I, I, this is where having an educational therapist is 
so helpful because we can sit there and say, this is the goal. This is what we're working on. Whatever you did was fine. But when this comes up again, let's do this. Let's do this. Which I had a client who was like notorious for like a Sunday night, 11 p.m. I have this paper due tomorrow Mm -hmm. and had been trying to work on it independently. Like it wasn't like she was ignoring it. She just hadn't hit that moment. The conversation with her parents was like, let her be upset. She can tolerate it. She'll figure it out. Even if she's up till two in the morning, we'll gradually bring that back for her. And I was giving her compensatory strategies of how to get started sooner, right? So it was like kind of handling it from both elements. Very, very difficult for dad who was a writer to not step in. I'm like, this This is why she's here is because you, we don't want these any sort of like Sunday night scaries anymore. Mm-hmm. And it all sort of, it's it's slow. But it progresses. It does. Can, I, can can we go back? I don't know if you had another question, but I would love to go back to where what the school's responsibility about executive functioning skills are. Yeah, let's dive into Is that. that. Okay. So from our perspective as educational therapists who often partner with schools and, and so on and so forth, executive functioning skills are often implicit but mm-hmm. expected. So we're expecting these kids to be able to manage a long-term project that's due several days out. Well, they have no experience from that because in elementary school, everything was absolutely scaffolded for them. And now Mm -hmm. we're expecting them to do it themselves. But there's an added element that I think sometimes parents and schools don't always see, which is the student experience of learning the executive functioning skills expectations of each individual teacher. So where you can really, really see that play into focus is in their online portals. If you had a kid in COVID who had an online portal, you saw the challenges of the online portal and that each teacher is using it in the way that makes sense for their own executive functioning skills. So some teachers want everything, no matter what, even if it's a like an assignment that you're writing by hand, they want it turned in digitally. Some teachers what half turned in digitally, half not. Some teachers want, uh, they'll put the assignments due at midnight and then the kid thinks, oh, I have until 11.59 to turn it in, which is not how we teach them in ed therapy. Some teachers never update the portal at all. And so we can't rely on them to disseminate what the homework is. But the challenge is, is our kids have six, seven, eight teachers where all the information is different. And then some teachers don't like the portal. So I'm going to use Google Classroom. So you have to do something extra for me. The executive functioning demands on the individual learner is not an experience that the school has themselves. The teachers are not experiencing it from the student perspective. Administration is not experiencing it from student perspective. We are because we're in the portals with these kids. So we see it. No, um, teachers aren't either. They don't know. Yeah. They, yeah. they don't know. They don't know how other teachers are using it. So now we've what we've done is we've just created all these expectations for kids who are already likely to struggle because it's never explicitly taught for them. So when you're coming into the school and asking for executive functioning skills support, that is sort of that is the trajectory, that is the viewpoint that we're battling. And the truth is a lot of the times 
teachers aren't going to change the fact that they're using Google Classroom instead of using the online portal for your kid. They're not going to make those sort of individual accommodations. So that's where you have to get real creative and with teachers, but make it realistic for your kids and make it realistic for the school to actually comply. This is why we harp on the intervention piece of it as and less so putting it on the school and the accommodation piece. Although we firmly believe that everybody on the team should know what that kid is working on. Oftentimes teachers themselves don't have the training on executive functioning skills. So, and it, and it can come across as looking as non-compliant when there's executive functioning skills challenges, it can look non-compliant. It can look rude. It can look, no, they looked me in the eye and they told me, well, they didn't write it down and they struggle with memory and memory is not reliable. It mm-hmm. can look like we're making excuses. So we have to be very clear about what we can control as the parent, as the ed therapist, as the student versus what is actually the responsibility of the school. Because it, it might be energy better used elsewhere. Now, I think it's a good point. I know like in my, with my audience, when we're looking at 504s, mainly for anxiety or OCD, like we talked about this before we started recording, it's out of the box stuff, you know, that they right. don't even know what to ask for. You know, like my daughter's 504 plan is very bizarre because I advocate for weird stuff. You know, I want her to be able to have fidgets. If she's picking her skin, I don't want them to tell her to not pick, but I want them to bring her awareness to it. Weird yeah. things that no one would ever think of. And so those things are really helpful or like, you know, she has sensory motor OCD. And as far as going to the bathroom, like 50 times an hour, they need to know that. And she needs to feel like she has access while we're working on it. So very strange stuff, but I'm feeling very inspired about the executive functioning at home because I'm, as you're talking, more and more, <laughs> my son is struggling so much with executive functioning. I realize, and I think part of it, some medications cloud the mind. And Absolutely. He's convinced he has, uh, ADHD. He's like mm-hmm. self-diagnosed himself now that he's 13. And mm-hmm. I used to always tell him, no, no, it's your anxiety and OCD. But mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe like, you know, I mean, it does, it's neither here nor there. He just needs to develop the skills because, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering as you guys are talking, what things we can do, you know, to implement at home for them to start to be more organized because, and we, we've already talked a lot about this, but I'm thinking like you mentioned calendars and digital calendars. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my 19 year old who definitely didn't look like her 13 year old brother who is like mm-hmm. legitimately scattered, like out of all three of my kids, like he is the one where you'd be like, he'd be your client, you know, mm-hmm. my daughter though, in ni- who's 19, she has, she's in college and she's in California and she's, she doesn't have a Google calendar yet. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, what's on your calendar? Because I'll say something like, oh, you need to reach out to the scholarship people. And she's like, okay. I'm like, write that on your calendar. Mom, I don't have a calendar. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. I failed that one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> You're not going to listen to me. I'm like, you need a Google calendar, like get into this century. But then I'm thinking about my 11 and 13 year old. Do we introduce our kids to digital calendars early? Yeah, absolutely. And and it, you introduce your kid to calendaring. I will say I grew up in a household where both of my parents were very good at calendaring. And we were always on time. Like the EF was strong in my household. And my mom still uses the paper calendar to the point where, like, it's the same paper calendar that she has used for 40 years. She can open it up and show me the date of her bridal shower. Like, very, very, or Steph's, like, pursing her lips right now because, like, very on top of it, which created some anxiety in my brother and I that we 
discuss amongst ourselves. But it is these kids are going to be digital natives. We strongly encourage them to have a Google Calendar. You can often sync their school stuff directly to Google Calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, it's not just ever about creating a Google Calendar. It's about maintaining it. Yeah. And so when, you're, when your oldest doesn't have a calendar and we say put it on the calendar, well, everything else has to go on the calendar too. And that takes a little bit of time, right? Steph, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the thing about it is that some schools, I have some kids that have to use paper because they're not allowed to have the technology with them at all times. And so they can't input it in real time and then they forget and it becomes a problem. So it really depends on what the situation is for everybody. In a perfect world, yes, it's a Google Calendar and it's it's a calendar for different things. We have our students have a school calendar, a personal calendar. Oftentimes there's a family calendar so that everybody knows. Sports calendar. Everybody knows what's going on. If you looked at Rachel and my calendars, Mm -hmm. we have tens of them because there are so many different things that go on at once. And, but we all, we live and die by it because we know where we need to be when and what we need to be doing. And we just go by that. So we're teaching our clients and adults, the parents of some of our clients, actually how to make sure that they're putting stuff in and it's not getting left by the wayside so that they know they're, this thing is coming up. You need to make sure that you're there. Or you need to do it and you need to put it in in real time. Not, oh, I'll put it in later because you're going to forget later. And so kids that don't have the digital access might not be doing that. And then we're teaching them to do it in a paper calendar and breaking we're down. They don't lose it. Yeah. Right? Breaking down what they're going to work on when and what they need when and all of that. And it's a really important thing as a family to be able to have everyone on the same page. Mm -hmm. And so even though it doesn't matter that your son doesn't need to necessarily know where his sister is, but he should be able to see where his sister is if he needs to. And nothing, nothing bothers me more than the fact that my husband's he's, it's not a new job, but this job that he currently has is in Microsoft. And so he has to use an Outlook calendar and I'm like, it's not on our calendar and it impacts me. And so he has to remember to do both as opposed to have it be more seamless for him. So that's just me griping about Microsoft, but go on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we say they're never too young, honestly, because teaching them these skills as the demands get bigger, they're already, they already have the foundation. So as the demands get bigger, they learn how to add on to what they're going to put in their calendar. When they're little, they don't have a lot of demands. Their homework is due at the end of the week. They, you know, work on stuff in school. And as they get older, it's, well, this is due then and this is due then. And and it depends on each teacher. And do they have work over the weekend? Do they have work during breaks? And as they get older, they do. And being able to put that in and when they're going to work on it, I have ki- I've had kids that said, oh, I'll do it during the weekend and then had no idea that they were going out of town that weekend and then therefore didn't even have their stuff because they didn't know to pack it because they were going straight from school. So they didn't have the stuff, the binder that they left at home. 
which Mm -hmm. that adds to we don't like having multiple binders because then you can leave one somewhere. (laughs) So like everything in one place. So those kinds of things come up. And so just helping them learn how to do that is that's a life skill that's going to be very helpful as adults. I remember as visceral memory just came up. I remember my brother getting an invitation to like a bar mitzvah. So he must have been 13. And he went over to my mom's calendar to look to see if he was available that day at 13. Why? Because before my mom or dad made a commit, really my mom, everything he went through her, but like Mm -hmm. before a commitment was made, the calendar was consulted Mm -hmm. because we cannot over rely on memory or the online portal or mom and dad to be able to communicate with us uh, enough. Like those conversations are fleeting moments and we all go on to the next thing. So we need some sort of centralized thing where, okay, we are collectively responsible for maintaining this, but we're also collectively responsible for upholding it. And so this is challenging when parents themselves aren't doing that sort of EF work, not trying to overwhelm parents and be like, okay, you got to get a Google. Like, yeah. And the truth is, is it, it's not going to take you as long as you think to sort of establish a Google calendar, but it's this really critical component of adulting and taking responsibility for time. Yeah, I like that. I think there's so many tools that we can actually have our kids start tapping into. So that are free. Yeah. That are free. Echo. Like I've been trying to teach my kids to do echo reminders. And so I might have to remind them to do the reminder, but it's like getting them to use that tool. Right. Um, or use mm-hmm. their iPad and set a reminder for yourself or a daily totally. reminder. Mm-hmm. Totally. And if they see you doing it, it's mm-hmm. only going to increase the likelihood that they remember to do it too. Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm like probably like your mom. So. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I think I'm pretty great. So <laughs> I can tell you what I was doing in 1995. Yeah. <laughs> I, got my I did move to digital, but. Oh, I would love to get her to move to digital. I just don't see it in the cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. A lot of people have a hard time moving to digital, but I do yeah. think we can teach our kids to do these things early so that yeah. they develop those skills. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. I feel like this was a great discussion. It's kind of empowering for me because I'm like, I need to focus on this more. <laughs> um, I model it because I mean, my executive functioning is like supercharged most of the right. time. Right. But it's not natural for a lot of our kids. And mm-hmm. you know, it's natural for my youngest. It's not natural for my middle. Right. And so just really tweaking those skills is going to really help because they're going to be in college someday and they're going to say, you know, I don't know have a calendar. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure it's achievable and realistic. Yeah. Right. For you to sort of do that executive functioning support until it becomes automatic. It's, it's not just about modeling those skills. Those skills or creating that Google Calendar is about maintaining them over the long term as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely want to be realistic. Yes, steps and compassion. I know with my son, it's like you know telling him to set the Echo reminder, you know, and then yeah, he's automatic. So yeah, nice small steps. Exactly. Where can people find you? I know you have a great podcast. You guys both have practices. So we, our podcast is called Learn Smarter and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and the website is learnsmarterpodcast.com and we both have our practices. Mine is myedtherapist, myedtherapist.com on and on the socials and all of the things and Rachel's. Mine is capedtherapy.com. That's K-A-P-P. We specialize in executive functioning skills 
and ADHD and those sorts of challenges. You don't have to be local to us to work with us. And yeah, Steph and I, our, our joint endeavor is the podcast and there's fantastic conversations with experts like Natasha mm-hmm. on the podcast mm-hmm. um, and great conversations and really extensive executive functioning skills series that we do. And then we each have our own individual practices as well. Yeah. Do you see people globally? Yes. Yes. That's exciting. Okay, that's going to be very, very helpful for people. So it doesn't matter where you are. You can still tap into these services. So I will leave yep. a link of all your resources in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming out. I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, I hope that you found that helpful. I always get something when I talk to them. Um, I was actually on their podcast and they came to the AT Parenting community. And then I wanted to have them come and talk to you guys. For those of you that are not in my membership community to be able to hear from them as well. And I'm pumped about doing some stuff for my son. <laughs> we don't want to overdo it, like they said, but I am kind of excited about maybe fine tuning that a little bit more. So I hope that you find my podcast in general helpful. Don't forget to hit a star on Google Play or Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. And if you have a few extra seconds, leaving a review is so kind and considerate and helpful for other parents who are also looking for helpful podcasts and don't want to waste their time with ones that aren't helpful. So. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. I hope that I see you in my series that's coming out. Don't forget to check that out at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Check out my new grief book coming out for children. I do have another book coming out too. I won't talk about that one yet, but I'll just give you a little hint. It is about OCD and it is for kids between I think eight and 12. So very excited about that, but things move very slowly in the publishing world. And so it's done but I don't know how long it takes to do the edits and for the publisher to get it out. So more to come on that one. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 